Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're picking up Psalm 73, a beautiful psalm. If you're not familiar with this in the Psalms, a lot of people just know there's 150 Psalms, the longest book of the Bible. But what we refer to as the book of Psalms is actually five books of Psalms. And Psalms or Hallel, in Hebrew, if you say Hallel, you're saying song of praise. Luya is Hallel Luya is song of praise to Lu Yah for is the contraction of Yahweh. The Jews don't like to say his full name. When you say Hal Hallel Lu Yah, praises to Yah or Yahweh, praises to God. We translate that course into English, praise be to the Lord. So the collection of these halals, these songs, that's what they're called in Hebrew, is brought into five books that we study. Some of you might have this in your translation right above Psalm 73. You might notice it might say book three and then Psalm 73. Not all of the translators do that, but a lot of them do respectfully put that in. Because that's what it comes across from the Hebrew. And it's just the third book. Now, this one is the shortest of the books of the five books of Psalms. It only goes to Psalm 89. And most of the Psalms between here and 89 are short Psalms. And this first Psalm is kicked off by Asaph. He had a certain job. We would say in our culture, the worship leader. Now, when I say he was pretty prominent in Jewish culture, because when they had any big gathering of the Jews for a holy day, this is the guy who got to stand up in front of everybody to lead the service of the song. If you were the nation's worship leader, every time there's a national event, we're having a big holy day and all the people are going to gather to Jerusalem and we're going to have a big praise service. And who's going to be the guy up front? This guy, Asaph, is going to be the one leading the thing. People are going to be looking at you. You're the national worship director. Now, I only want you to know that because he kind of rats on himself in this song. He even says some things that are very personal about himself and his faith and his walk with God. And it's really interesting because I think this song ministers to a lot of people who have heart for ministry. They served in ministry. Maybe they did it full-time or even just part-time helping in their church, and they've laid down their lives. They went and helped with the food feeding at their church, or they taught Sundays. Whatever role they participated in, if you have participated helping out around church, you're going to like this psalm, because this psalm has a message for the servants that serve the Lord, because he was a servant. Let's read it together. Psalm 73, verse 1 picks up. It says, surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling and my steps almost slipped. What? You're the spiritual worship leader. You're saying you almost slipped? What would make him slip up? Let me show you. He tells what it is. Don't worry. At least he's transparent about how he feels. He says, for I was envious. I was envious of the arrogant. For I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And there were no pains in their death. Their body was fat. And there was, well, they're not in trouble as other men, nor were they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. And the garment of violence covers them. 
and their eyes, they bulge from fatness, and the imaginations of their heart run riot, and they mock, and they wickedly speak oppression, and they speak from on high, and they have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongues parade through the earth, and therefore his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them, and they say, how does God know? And is their knowledge with the Most High? Have you ever heard folks do that, that are well-to-do? And what does God know? Is he even paying attention? He doesn't care. You know, look at me. I'm living my life. I live how I want to live. And he doesn't do anything about it. They're wearing that prideful necklace, aren't they? Basaf says they're dressed with these garments of violence and necklaces of pride. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked. And they're always at ease. And they have increased in their wealth. Now, if you have been in ministry for a long time, typically is not a, an attribute of most humble ministers that they walk in wealth. Usually they're walking in close to poverty or right there at poverty level. And so it's a walk of faith, right? We have to trust the Lord every day. Give us this day our daily bread. But he must have recognized the same problem. Wait, these rich fat cats are doing great. There's no pain in their death. And listen to what he says about himself. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and I've washed my hands in innocence. I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. And if I said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Poor Asaph. He's like, I don't get it. The wicked are living the fat life at ease, and I'm trying to serve God, and I don't have it at ease. I don't have it easy. I've got it tough. How do you like this? He's singing this song with the whole church. Everybody turn to the song, book three today. Got a song for you. This song goes like this. The rich are doing great. They don't have any troubles. And me, I serve the Lord, and it sucks. I have all these problems. And it is troublesome to me. That's the beginning lyrics of the song. We could probably make a a rock song about this. I'm not sure it would become that popular. But to the poor people, we could identify. Yet, he says it's troublesome when he came to ponder. He's trying to think, Lord, this bugs me. I try to serve you and I have it rough. I'm stricken all day long. And I'm the worship leader. I'm serving you, God. I'm the national worship leader. And I have these troubles. It's bothering him. But, verse 17. This is the verse you should highlight if you haven't already. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Now, what's the big deal about that? We'll read the last part of the verse. And then I perceived their end. He says, when I went into the sanctuary of God, goes to praise the Lord, and he's now in God's presence. And now he gets a different perspective, God's perspective. What's going to happen to these folks in the end? And he says right here, he says, Surely, Lord, you have set them upon slippery places, and you've cast them down to destruction. He's now getting a little bit more eternal perspective. Just because they're living the fat life now doesn't mean it's going to be so good for them into eternity. He says they are destroyed in a moment and they are utterly swept away by terrors like a dream. When one awakes, oh, Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. 
Now, when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you, God. Not that we would ever confess this, right? That we've ever been senseless or ignorant. Verse 22, but my heart was embittered. Now, this is a true humble man that he could lead the whole nation in worship and say, I was envious. I was jealous. My heart was embittered. How many of you guys would write that in the song and include it in the book? You want everyone else to know that that's in your heart? You're the worship leader. Don't tell everybody. You know, repent, buddy, but don't tell them, right? But yet this is the first psalm of book three is the worship leader, the national worship leader, confessing he was jealous. Jealous of the rich. Envious. And embittered. And something embitters us. It's not like we just thought about it for a minute. No, it never happens to us, right? We never get like that. When we see someone else doing so good and we're suffering, and then we start getting the poor memes, I call it. You know, poor me, poor me. <laughs> Don't you think it's nice that in the Bible that it's included that the guy who was the national worship leader of Israel felt the same things we have even felt ourselves? It just blows my mind that he would be humble enough to confess it. Face it, guys. When you write this down and you put this as the first psalm of book three, and they say, pull out book three of the psalms. We're going to do the first one. And it's the one that the national worship leader wrote about how he was jealous and envious and embittered. You go, what? It's a song in church? I mean, they really sing this song? Now, did the Jews sing these songs? Yeah. They did all these songs through the song. This was their songbook. So were they aware that people get embittered when they see what seems to be inequality or injustice or the wicked getting away with wickedness and prospering? We see that happen and it can bother us. But look at what he says. I love this. Because see, the song doesn't end there. Verse 23 then says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my Right hand of the Y and you is capitalized, signifying deity. I am with you, God. And you have taken hold of my right hand. Is it nice to have God holding our hand through life? Like, come on, kid, I got you. And he reaches down and takes our hand and walks us through. And he says, and your counsel, God, guide me. And afterward, you receive me to glory. You take me by the hand. You give me your guidance to get through this life and afterwards. Now, this is a perspective of only we get this by faith, that God is with us now and he walks us through this life. And when this life is over, like Moses said, and I'll fly away, oh glory, right? We'll fly away. We'll go to be with him. And afterwards, he says, you receive me to your glory. Well, whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And beside you, I desire nothing in the earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength, the strength of my heart and of my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. For you have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of your works. Here's what he 
comes to understand when he goes into the house of the Lord, when he goes into that place where he goes to praise God. When he wasn't in that place, he was jealous, envious. He saw the rich having it good. And it kind of troubled him until he went into the sanctuary of God. Now, the sanctuary of God, that place where we go to escape the other influences, that safe, sacred, safe spot where we commune with God. It was a place where you went in and you left all the distractions outside. The sanctuary was considered holy. It wasn't a place you brought in your extra stuff. You didn't bring your animals in and, and any distraction. You went in to focus on the Lord. When we do that, when we come into the presence of the Lord, I believe it changes our perspective. When we shut out those external distractions and we just come into God's presence, then our perspective begins to change. He says, when I came into your presence, Lord, I perceived their end. When he was out there, he wasn't thinking about their end, was he? What was he thinking about? Their present, right? Well, they got it good right now. And my present right now, I'm suffering. It's very in the moment right now. Look at, they got it good and I have it back. But when he went into the presence of God and he recognized, I get to commune with my creator. My creator takes me by the hand. He holds my hand. My creator guides me through this life. My creator will receive me to glory. Now, when he goes into God's sanctuary, the mind is open to what's going to happen. His understanding becomes long-term. And all of a sudden, the attitude what he had outside, when he was jealous and embittered about those guys, it's more changed to almost like pity. Like, I'm sorry for those guys. I'm going to be in your presence. I'm going to be in your glory. I'm going to have it made forever. And they're not. And isn't it interesting how our attitude can change when we come into God's presence towards others around us? And by the way, I suggest if you ever wrestle with being embittered or jealous or envious of somebody, the best thing you can do is follow this worship leader's psalm right here. Go into the presence of God. Go seek the Lord. Go into a sanctuary, so to speak, where you can focus on him. Take away the distractions, turn off the cell phone, and go and say, God, thank you for being the one that guides me. Thank you for being the one that takes me by the hand. Thank you for being the one that will lead me into your glory. We know that, right? God's going to guide us. Jesus is with us always. He'll never leave us. He'll never Don't we know these things? But how come when we're outside the sanctuary looking around at the wicked prospering, we forget so quick? Or we get jealous so fast? Well, gosh, man, they got it easy. And look at them, man. They're just like life at ease and living in fat. I like how he puts it. Their eyes bulge from fat. That's a pretty uh, descriptive term, isn't it? They really got it made, man. And I'm just a worship leader and I'm suffering over here. This is why the scripture gives so many admonitions. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, he says, they'll be added to you. Don't let those things be the thing that you put your eyes on. My son had mentioned to me, Dad, I read in the Proverbs, it says, if you put your mind to consider money, 
that it makes itself wings and it flies away. So how do you make money? And that's a really legitimate question. That's really good. But it's pointing out that if your focus is on the money, the money just disappears. Anyone ever tried to do the get rich quick scheme and get rich quick, put your mind on this scheme, we're going to make money real quick, and then poof, it's gone, and it doesn't work. But if we would seek the Lord, he knows what you need. Now, I didn't say he's going to make you rich. I know some guys want me to teach that, but he'll make you rich in what counts. Okay, Rich in the things of his spirit, rich in contentment, because even if you have a lot, if you're not content, like remember what Paul said, I have learned the great secret that whether I abase or I abound, in other words, whether I'm in the basement means like way down or I'm abounding, I'm way up at the top and I've got it all. He says, I have learned the secret to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Because he recognized that Christ was with him, whether he had a little or he had a lot. He didn't change Christ's presence in his life. But if something comes between us and the Lord and it becomes a, well, a snare or a stumbling block to us, it would be better we didn't have it than that we have it and we lose that presence of God in our lives. Because that's what he says. Look at the end of the psalm one more time with me, would you? Here's what he says. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. To feel God near to me, that's what's really my good. Now, someone says to you, what's your good? Dave, what's your good? They're like, come on, tell me your secret. You always have this smile. How'd you get that? He learned the secret. We could write a book like, okay, we're going to make a book. We're going to make millions. We're going to say the secret, the real secret of life. It doesn't have to do with how much you have. It's learning to be content with whatever you have. That's truly the secret. When someone says, how come you got that content smile on your face? How come you have that assurance? A nice way to say it is that the nearness of God is my good. That's what I really relish. That's the thing that is the cat's meow. When it comes to really saying what counts, knowing that the Lord is near to me, that is so good for our soul. It's refreshing. Some Christians lose sight of that really easily when they're not in the sanctuary. When they come back to the sanctuary, they sing a few praise songs, their focus shifts back to the Lord, their creator. It comes back to them. He says, if I draw near to him, he draws near to me. I feel his presence. My whole worldview comes back into focus. I'm doing really good when I'm at church. It's just the rest of the week when I got to dwell with all those rest of the He tell me this and I'm like, Ah, oh, you need to remember, no matter where you go, Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. Lo, until the ends of the age, he says, I'm with you. Don't forget, we can have the nearness of God be our good. We can end just like this psalm. He says, I have made the Lord God my refuge. That's my safe place, right? When there's trouble, you run to the refuge. He said, I made the Lord God my refuge, and that I might tell of all your works. I think when it comes to telling of the works of the Lord, it's really best when the servants of the Lord have made God their good. 
and that they made God their refuge first. Because then when we talk about him, people see, oh, you got something about you. There's a spark. There's a light there. And even if they can't put the Christian lingo verbiage on it, they might say, you have a glow. Your aura is gold. We're so white. That's the Lord. They are observant of something spiritual in our life. We shouldn't knock them for that. We should say, you're perceptive. Cool, you must be a spiritual person. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain and he came back down and they actually said, cover up your face. You're just glowing too much. You got such a glow. Well, that just shows me that he was in God's presence. People say, why do you Christians start off your services with worship? Why do you try to go into God's presence all the time? What's the big deal? And I'm thinking, you don't understand. It changes my perspective. I might have come in embittered. Or I might have been jealous or envious or struggling about someone I was dealing with in my week. Maybe it was a coworker, a boss, whatever. Some jerk that cut me off on the highway. There's certain things we got to deal with in this life. And coming to the house of the Lord and just praising him and changing my focus from the day-to-day to my creator, my heavenly father, put my eyes on him, all of a sudden, that stuff, or, or that rotten person that did that to me, all of a sudden, it might sound funny, but what he describes as, first he's envious of them, and then he comes into God's presence, and then he perceives their end. And it's almost like I can see a shift. Like from, I was jealous of them, now I feel sorry for them. A genuine man, it's not going to be good for their end. But that's a perspective you gain when you draw near to God. And I believe that perspective is very healthy for us as Christians because that gives us compassion when we go back out into this world. Then we can say, the good of my God, that's what I hold on to, his nearness is my good. I got him close to me. And I have him as my refuge. Then Asaph ends the psalm. Then I can tell of your works. Until a worship leader is willing to let God become near to him, he's not going to be a good worship leader. I have seen some people that want to be the worship leader. And they're very gifted musicians. They can play all sorts of instruments. They can sing really well. But when you ask them, how is your walk with the Lord? Do you feel the Lord's closeness? Is he guiding you? Do you have your hand being in his hand? Is he guiding you and leading you? And they're like, oh, I don't talk to the Lord. What are you talking about? I got to go practice my music. Yeah, I don't think you're really qualified to be a worship leader. Because how are you going to lead someone into God's presence if you don't go there first, you can be the best musician in the world. But what makes a good worship leader isn't your musical ability. It's that you are willing to do what we're told in the scriptures to draw near to God. And he draws near to us. People can see that when we do. And he tells us in Romans that our true spiritual service of worship is to present ourselves living and holy sacrifices to God. That is acceptable. God's pleased. When you say, God, here I am, and you just throw it out there. Here I am. Here's my body. It's yours. I just present myself to you. When we do that, does God smile at that? 
as his children go, we're yours. Use us how you want. Lord, here's my hand. Take it. Guide me. Lead me. And we follow. That's when we can really become effective worshipers. Because people see that we're near to him. And then they go, I want that. And if they ever come up to you and say, you have a glow. There's a light about you. I, how do I get that? That's a compliment. That means you are walking close to him. And they just perceive it. And believe me, there are some people that are seeking that right now in this world. But Christians, some of them are so busy. They've become so drawn down by this world. Their eyes have been shifted from looking up at him to looking around at all the stuff and everybody else prospering. And their light, they don't even notice, is dim. When your heart's embittered, do you think you really shine for Jesus when you have a bitter heart? No way. People are like, hey, get away from that person. They're really bitter. They're embittered. They're terrible. They're run. But when you let God be close to you, he works on whatever you're struggling with. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.